0: This morning's passage is taken from 1 Peter, and I'll start at verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed as, at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We're starting a new series today looking at holy, what it means to be holy. And I think it's one of the most important questions for our time. What does it mean for us as a people called by God to follow God to be a holy people? Right at the core of the scriptures, right at the core of the Bible, is this call to be holy. Be holy, for I am holy. But what does that mean today? Because it can seem like an ancient idea from a far off land, a different time. What relevance does it have for our lives today? It can seem a bit extra. Even if you've been following Jesus, you can think, well, surely you know, I'm made holy by Jesus' death for me on the cross. Why worry about holiness? I'm righteous in God's sight. In our complex cultural moment, it can feel complicated. All these pressures and forces and tides and changes push against us, and we can lose our confidence in what holiness might be or what it might feel like or what it might mean. But I think this passage is of vital importance to every single one of us and for every single aspect of our lives. It's so exciting at the moment, to see lots and lots of people come to faith in Jesus in our church. Really exciting to see what's happening in our workplaces, in our homes, our businesses, our schools, our hospitals. Really exciting to see healings and people from all sorts of different backgrounds encountering Jesus for the first time and exploring a relationship with Jesus. That's an amazing thing. If you want to see your family and your friends transformed, then pursue holiness. If you want to see our city and this nation come to Christ, then pursue holiness. If you want to see a church which is fascinating to the world and makes a difference to the city we live in, then pursue holiness. Blaise Pascal said, the supreme beauty of a holy life is the most powerful force in the world, the most powerful influence in the world, next to the power of God. If you want to make a difference with your one precious life, pursue holiness. But the most important reason is because God calls us to be holy. And that's hugely challenging and hugely encouraging. It tells you your life has eternal significance and every one of your days matters to him. And it means that any interaction in your life and every interaction in your life can be used by God to shape you, form you, mould you into something beautiful, something even holy. So the first thing we see in this passage is holy what? What is holiness? Well, Peter writes, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Holy is used as a prefix to God's name more than any other attribute in the Bible. Holy is used as a description over a thousand times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. That God is holy means he's perfect in his goodness. It means he's wonderful in his love. It means he's free from all evil and he is light and there's no darkness in him. It means he's pure and he's good and he is true and you can trust him. We're told in the Scriptures in Exodus that God is majestic in holiness. In the Psalms, we're told to worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. In Isaiah, we have this vision of the seraphim around the throne of God, saying again and again, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. This perfect revelation of who God is. In in, in Revelation, at the end of the Bible, we have this image of the multitudes worshipping in heaven. And what are they saying? Holy, holy. Holy, holy is the Lord. Holy, because God is holy, is why we worship God. And in verse 15, Peter writes, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Be holy because I am holy. It's highly personal and highly relational. It's a command which presupposes a close, connected, intimate relationship. The kind of relationship that might make a difference to how you actually live your life. The kind of relationship that might make a difference to who you are. That might change your character. That might change your your values. That might even change your identity. And that can be quite challenging in the modern day. Uh, The great preacher of our age, Tim Keller, um, who died on Friday once quoted Michael Worth in the New York Times. Michael Worth wrote, Western people want a God who is loving, but not holy. They want the universe to hold their hand, but not tell them how to live. And so often we hear holiness and we think morality. I don't know what word association you have if I said holy, you might think like moral. You might think like goody two-shoes. You might think like self-righteous. You might think holier than thou. Those people who walk around thinking they smell better or bits of them smell better than other people. You, know, you might think well-behaved. You might, if you're honest, think a bit boring. Holiness is connected to obedience, but if you start there, you'll miss its beauty and its wonder. Holiness is about obedience, but it's far more than that. You know, Sometimes we think holiness, to be holy means to be moral, but it, it cannot mean just that. You know, there are things that are described as holy in the Bible that have no way of being moral. You know, a table is described as being holy in the Bible. Have you ever seen a well-behaved table in your life? The word holy, kadosh, means to be set apart, to be separate. To be holy is to be set apart for something, to belong to someone, to belong to God, to live on his terms, to delight in him. Our English word holy is actually very close to what it means because it means to be whole. When God says be holy, what he's saying is be holy mine, be all mine, be completely mine belong to me. It's deeply personal and it's highly relational. And yes, it's about commands, but the commands always point to something far better. It's about obedience, but the obedience is relational, not transactional. I, uh, I don't know how you're wired, but Beth and I, just before we had our first daughter, went on a little holiday, and our favourite place to go on holiday is South Wales, beautiful premature coast, and we love to swim in the sea. So we're so excited, get a few days away by the coast before the baby's born, swim in the sea, enjoy life, win. And uh, there was a big hurricane, Hurricane Katrina actually, which had just kicked off in the Atlantic, causing devastation all along the eastern seaboard of the United States, and then the effects of Hurricane Katrina hit the south coast of Wales. And, uh, there was an Ironman, massive Ironman triathlon that had been planned along the beaches that weekend. Uh, it was all called off. None of the swimmers could go in the sea. Everything cancelled. But we were desperate to go in the sea. And so we went down to the beach and we thought, well, we'll just have, I mean, we'll just have a look. And so we were kind of walking up and down the beach thinking, it doesn't look that rough. I mean, it doesn't look that dangerous. Hurricane Harishmaine, you know, it's like, it's probably going to be okay. And then as we got ready we suddenly realized that actually you know at the beach sometimes there's like a green flag and then sometimes there's a yellow and red flag which means you should only swim if there are lifeguards around and then occasionally when it's really bad there's a red flag. Lots of you think that was created for relationships but actually it was created for um, the sea and the red flag is like don't go anywhere near the sea. It's dangerous in the sea. You might lose your life if you go in the sea and uh, they say in life you can categorize people as like policemen or bandits, and uh, policemen uh, like rules, and they think rules should be upheld, and that they have a responsibility in helping people to follow rules, uh, and uh, put your hand up if you're a policeman by nature, just, yeah, a few people, yeah, or quite a surprising number of people, and then bandits, bandits like rules, but, and, and they think the rules are good, they just don't think they should apply to them, and uh, put your hand up if you're a bandit, and, um, yeah. Most bandits wouldn't put their hand up. They're like, I'm not going to put my hand up. Why would I put my? Why would not be told what to do? And um, and so uh, on that day, we were feeling a little bit more like bandits than policemen. So we thought, what's the harm? We'll just have a little dip in the sea. It's red flag, but we're good swimmers. So with my heavily pregnant wife I persuaded her to come into the sea turns out there was a very bad rip tide, and uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced that but but we thought we were just treading water you know I said we'll just tread water just out of our depth we'll be fine and uh, and then we suddenly realized we're about a hundred meters away from the shore thought, that's not good and then we're a bit further away from the shore and then Beth turned to me and she said is it going to be okay and the true answer to that was no uh, but, but I don't want to panic her so I said let's just swim back in and so we swam back in for about 20 minutes we did not go anywhere and uh, and and, you know, you are supposed to keep exercising in the later days of pregnancy, but I don't think this is quite what they had in mind. And, and after a while, I was just saying, look, let's just swim, let's just swim. A crowd started to gather on the shore. People like, should we find the lifeguards? And eventually, after about 30, 40 minutes, we managed to swim back into shore. There were moments when I thought, this is going to go really badly wrong. I'm going to regret this day. You know, the people had put the red flags up weren't trying to be killjoys. They weren't trying to spoil our day. They weren't thinking we hate it when people swim in the sea. Why would they do that? <laughs> they were trying to keep us safe. They didn't want us to come to harm. God's God's instruction is His mercy, and God's commands are His kindness. Doesn't Tell us to do and not do things because he wants to spoil our fun, but because he loves us. You have, it says here, you're children of a father, a loving, eternal father who loves you. And the commands, the obedience points to that relationship. Not so, a, a few years ago, I was away for a couple of days and I was just walking through a shopping center. And I checked my phone. I know you're not supposed to do that when you're off, but I just checked my phone. And I checked my emails, and an email popped into my inbox. And it was written in very aggressive language. And it slightly took my breath away. And it said, uh, we are an anonymous hacking collective, and we have hacked your laptop. And we have not just hacked your laptop, we've hacked the camera on your laptop and we have taken a video of you watching pornography. And unless you pay us this much Bitcoin, we're going to release it to the world. And I was there in the shopping centre thinking, I don't have any Bitcoin. (laughs) I don't even know where you get Bitcoin from. So I was like, just this terror rose within me. And I was like, oh no, I need Bitcoin. I don't have Bitcoin. And then after about 30 seconds, I was thinking, Even if I did have Bitcoin, you're not supposed to respond to blackmail. And then after about a minute, I thought, I don't watch pornography. (laughs) And I thought, have they got a video of me watching pornography when I don't watch pornography? And I sat there for about 20 seconds. Oh, it's a scam. (laughs) And the relief. I've made lots of mistakes in my life. There are other things I might have got an email about. I might have been in a real flux. But actually, as it happened, I hadn't done that. So I emailed our head of IT and said, look, <laughs> think, think some people might be on the lookout for a scam. You have an enemy who wants to accuse you, delights in accusing you. Don't give him an, any ammunition. You have a father who delights in forgiving you. Don't create any distance. His instruction is his his mercy, and his commands are his kindness. When God says, be holy, he's saying, be holy, be completely mine. The second thing is holy, why? Why would you pursue holiness? Well, Peter focuses on our identity, who we are, who we become, because we place our trust in Jesus. He says, As obedient children, as obedient children, since you call on a father, for you were redeemed, for you have been born again. It's so important that the call to be holy is founded on our identity, not our activity. The truth about your identity, who you are, your identity is something you receive. It's not something you can achieve. If you spend, if you try and earn your identity through your behaviour, your good behaviour, you'll be exhausted and you'll always feel vulnerable. If you try and earn your identity through you know, your achievements, you always feel that you've fallen short. If you try and construct your identity, it will always feel fragile. But Peter says you have received an identity. And your identity precedes, comes before, is the foundation of all the activity in your life. You try and live a holy life in order to become a child of God, you will fail. You try and live a holy life in order to be accepted by God, you will fail. But when you realise you are a daughter, a much-loved daughter, a much-loved son of an eternal father, when you realise that he has made you to be holy, then that is the foundation of everything in your life. Peter wants to remind us of who we are. It's so easy to forget who you are. When I started working as a barrister, I was 22 years old, and I actually looked about 16, and um, that's awkward, let's be honest, that's awkward, because you turn up to court with these kind of older criminals, and on at least five occasions in the first three weeks, uh, these, these people, sorry, not criminals, people accused of committing crime, <laughs> forgive me, so, they, people with much more experience of the criminal justice system than me would look at me, and they would say, how old are you? It's just embarrassing and in my head I still felt like a 16 year old and uh, one of the first trials I did it was uh, actually of a, of, a, of a teenager who was accused of uh, 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 robbing someone and in those days because they were trying to make the criminal courts more accessible for teenagers so they didn't feel intimidated by them uh, that there was this rule whereby judges could ask barristers and everyone in court to take off their wigs so that it wasn't as intimidating for the defendants and uh But it was at their discretion, and some judges, as you can imagine, didn't like it, because they're like, I want the youth to be intimidated, I don't want them to be not intimidated. She never quite knew what was going to happen, and there I was um, before uh, the case, and just in court, and I was thinking, I don't want to get this wrong, is it wig on or wig off, you know, wig on, wig off wig on, wig off. And I was panicking about it because it's embarrassing if the judge comes in his wig's on and mine isn't on and I have to put it on really quickly. But if it's off, I have to take it off really quickly. Just kind of going through this and the things you worry about. And, and, and the judge was just about to come in and then unbeknownst to me, the, the young defendant walked in wearing a baseball cap and, and sat in the dock right behind me. And, uh, and then the judge was just about to come out so it's easier to take a wig off than it is to put it on so I'll just put it on. So I put my wig on and then the judge came in. We all stood. He looked across at me and he said, Young man, take that hat off. I was like, I'm so sorry, Your Honour. Like this, and I put it down. And he said, Mr Foster, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the defendant. I was like. Everyone laughed. Everyone laughed. I felt 12 years old. I'd, I'd been trained for years. I'd been called to the bar. I was actually a barrister. I was wearing the clothes of being a barrister. I was representing someone in the crown court. I was a barrister. In my mind, I was a 16-year-old wearing a baseball cap. (laughs) The only person who was in doubt about my identity was me. Peter wants us to remind us about our identity. He doesn't want you to lose sight of who you are. What's your identity? You're a child of a loving, heavenly, eternal father. He says you're obedient children who call on a father, so live consistent with that. You know, Children bear the likeness of their parents. That's genetics, but it's also mirror neurons. We we kind of mimic, we, we mirror those we spend most of our time with. We adopt their mannerisms. And parents, good parents, love it when their children obey them not because they want to control their lives, but because it shows the children trust them, especially when it doesn't make sense. You're a child of a loving heavenly father. You have an eternal value. Peter says your life has a priceless eternal value. You are of infinite eternal worth. Why? Because not with perishable things, not with silver or gold were you bought, were you redeemed from the empty way of life, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Many valuable minerals in our world. Diamonds worth about $45,000 you know, dollars a, a gram. That's valuable. You have uh, Californium worth about $27 million a gram. That's really valuable. You have endo. Heterosal fullerene. It's worth about $138 million a gram. That's really valuable. But there's never been a substance, never been anything since the dawn of the universe to now and there never will be anything of greater value than the blood of Jesus Christ. It's beyond all value. You could have all the money in the world, all the jewels, all the houses, all the land, all the minerals, and you wouldn't be able to buy it. Gregory of Nazianza said, nothing compares to the miracle of my salvation. A few drops of blood redeemed the whole universe. You couldn't buy the precious blood if you offered all the riches that there have ever been in the universe, and yet it was spent freely for you. So know your worth. You have an infinite eternal value don't sell yourself short and then you have an eternal destiny you're born again not with perishable seed but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God it says all people like grass like the glory of the flowers of the field they're there a moment and then they're gone But the Word of the Lord endures forever and the Word of the Lord has taken root in you. It's established in you and it has reborn you and recreated you so that you can know whatever you build, whatever you spend your life investing in, whatever you spend your life doing, however you impact this world, it's gonna have eternal longevity. It's gonna have a legacy. You yourself will rise. Body, mind, soul and spirit. And therefore it matters what you do with your life today. It matters what you do with your body today. It matters what you do with your eyes today. It matters what you do with your hands today. Because God is forging you into something of eternal value. And every challenge, every opportunity, every battle, every blessing is an opportunity to grow in holiness. Holy what? Holy why? Holy how? How do we do it? How do we live a holy life? Well, Paul says, Get ready and, so Peter says, get ready and get focused. Prepare your mind for action. The word means to gird your mind. It's the same word that's used as a soldier in Roman times would prepare for battle. They'd take their tunic, they'd tuck it into their pants to make sure it didn't get in the way. They'd get everything out of the way that might be in the way so they could move freely, so they could fight right. It's like fix up, look sharp, get ready. On the one hand, you can't do this in your own strength. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. But on the other hand, it doesn't really work to kind of give the Holy Spirit a little performance appraisal. So Holy Spirit, I watched that series on Netflix that's not very godly last night, so you weren't doing your job properly. You didn't stop me. Holy Spirit, I don't feel like I've, my character's grown much in the last 12 months. You know, Pull your finger out, Holy Spirit. It doesn't happen by accident. You've got a role to play. You've got a part to play. And it might be over the coming weeks, you want to think as we're going through this series, what are the things I want to cut out? What are the things I want to separate off? What are the things I want to clear out? What are the things I need to stop? What are the things I need to distance myself off? You know, don't play games with things that might destroy your life. Maybe there's some things you need to pick up. Maybe there's things you need to put down. Maybe June would be a month for you. Where you can begin some new habits, begin some new ways of seeking to be holy. Maybe you've got to stop watching something, maybe you've got to start reading something. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Maybe for you, like for me, this is a time of consecration as you cut things out and pick things up. So struck by this recently. Uh, I've started going to the gym a bit more regularly recently, just you know trying to build up my core strength and my strength as I try and juggle my four daughters. And <laughs> turns out there's some really strong people in our church who go to the gym. Like there are some big people in our church who lift really big weights. And um, one of them, Joe, uh, started coming to our church recently. He's American. I think he's from Texas, and the guy is huge. He's like the biggest guy in the whole gym. Like, he lifts massive weights. So I was asking him for some advice, saying, Joe, you know, what do, I need, what do I need to do? And I was hoping he'd show me, like, one really simple, easy maneuver that would make me fit forever. You know, like, what's the one hack? And he kind of looked at me and he said, question I wasn't anticipating, he said, how many meals are you eating a day? I was like, what? And he said, how many meals are you eating a day? And I was thinking, Joe, in the UK we have breakfast. We have lunch and we have dinner. Like, I don't know in Texas how you do things, but here we have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I said, I'm eating three. He said, ah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, what? He said, it's going to be very difficult for you to make gains eating three meals a day. I said, What? what, what how many are you eating? He said, well, four, sometimes five. I was like, five meals a day? What do you call them? Like, second breakfast. Like, what, 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 what is this thing? It's like, he's like, no, 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 you just, you know, protein. You need, you gotta, it's not just what you're doing. It's what you're putting in. So I was thinking about that for three weeks. I was thinking, huh. Like there's a stage before actually doing stuff. It's what you're putting in. I was talking to another person in our church on Thursday, Olga. She's about half my size and lifts twice my weight. I said to her, what's your top tip for me, Olga? She said, how many hours are you sleeping? I was like, what? She said, well, you're never going to improve your fitness unless you're getting enough sleep. I'm like, how much am I eating? How much am I sleeping? There were their top tips. Sometimes we focus so much on what we're doing and we're not doing, but we don't focus on what we're taking into ourselves, what we're focusing our mind on, the good habits we want to adopt. On, on Monday night, Colleen, who did our readings on our PCCR governance group, and we are talking about that people were encouraging us as a church, me, to maybe we should seek a time of prayer and fasting. It was like a really key time in the life of the church, life of the nation, life of the world. So we should pray and fast. I was so inspired by this. Sat around the table. Three different people said at exactly the same time, we should have a time of prayer and fasting. I was so encouraged. I said, brilliant. Let's have a day of prayer and fasting. They looked at me though I was a child. And they said, pastor, a day is not going to cut it. I said, oh, how, how, how long? Two days? Three days? One of them said, not less than a month. I was like, you can do it for a month? I'm a beginner. But I want to be thinking, what are the things I want to be putting in place? What are the things I want to be taking into myself? Peter says, "You know, get ready, get focused. What are you focusing on? What are you taking into yourself? He says, therefore, at the start of this passage, and what's therefore? On the basis of everything he's already said in 1 Peter chapter one. What has he said? Because you have a new birth into a living hope. Because you have an inheritance that will never perish or fade, that's kept in heaven for you. Because you're shielded by God's power until the coming salvation. Because the trials you face will refine your glory. Because you're receiving the salvation of your souls. Because of the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that will follow them. Therefore, because of all that, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Set your hope. Set your mind, set your heart, set your focus on the hope that is to be revealed to you when Jesus Christ comes again. Set your mind, your hope, your eyes, your life on that. How do we grow in holiness? It's not so much about stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that. Don't be naughty, be a bit better behaved. Such a small vision of what it is. How do we grow in holiness? How many meals are you having a day? How many times a day are we just taking a minute to say, Jesus, would you show me how beautiful you are? Jesus, I want to be captivated by you. Jesus, I want to see how glorious you are. Jesus, I just want to think about you for a minute, three times in my day, four times in my day, five times in my day. God, I want to be closer to you. God, I want to be hearing your voice in the scriptures. God, I want to be worshiping you your wholehearted. God, I want to be praying to you. John Owen says in his commentary on Hebrews, we're never nearer Jesus than when we are lost in holy amazement at his unspeakable love. What are you taking in? Robert Murray McShane said, for every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Look at him we talk about holiness as we feel called to holiness as we're preparing to want to seek God in everything whether you've been following Jesus for 20 30 years or 20 30 minutes or you're still working out who he is don't become fixated on the detail lift your eyes for a second and focus on your savior don't be fixated on your failures marvel at his beauty Marvel at his majesty, be captivated by him. He's all together lovely. As we increase in a sense of his beauty and his wonder, it just grows the desire in us to be holy gods, to be set apart for him, to give our whole lives for him, to sort out some stuff that needs to be sorted out, yes. To take up some stuff that needs to be taken up, yes. To cut out some stuff that needs to be cut out, yes. But most of all, to say, God, I'm yours. I want to be wholly yours. I want to be completely yours. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Just think of the impact that might have in our workplaces, in our homes, in our families, in our businesses. People say, there's something different about you. I can't work out what it is but you're walking to a different drumbeat. Your hope's in a different place. Be holy, for I am holy. In Jesus' name, amen.